Let's begin uh, this morning with the word of prayer and just center down and and uh, we've we've just elevated our spirits. Now let's just open our minds to see what God has to say to us as we open His Word this morning. Father, we just love you. We uh, we long for that day of you returning to be very soon and not keep us waiting much longer. We miss you. We would love to see your face as you see ours. We would love to thank you for all that you've done in person, even though we know we can do that in our spirit. You made us with flesh, and we sort of latch on to flesh. And so however we can do that this morning in this time of, of worship, we want you to know we love you, and we want to love you more. So just reveal yourself to us this morning in ways that are unique to us, that we can hear and understand, relate to, and respond to and enjoy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today we finish our series on worship that we began several weeks ago, and I just want to sort of come full circle with the, the imagery that we began with. I, I can't get out of my mind the image of your creation in mine. Uh, the story of our origins has God intimately connected to us from the very beginning this eternal one, this all in all, this totality of white light if you're an engineer, okay, I'll put in an engineering word, this, this alpha and omega, the awesome, incredible, eternal, never not living God comes down to this earth, kneels down on our earth after he has created all the things to sustain life from, from light to air and water to food and, 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 and the, uh, the ability to be able to manage living on this earth, he gets down and he takes a little bit of mud and he crafts it in his hands and from the top of Adam's head all the way down to the bottom of his feet, God intimately creates every speck of your body and mine. But he even gets more intimate than that because then he bends over and he breathes into our lungs. The Hebrew word is spirit. English word is air. I like spirit better because spirit includes not just the physicality of, of air and, and life, but it, but it also connotes the spiritual connection and the spiritual life that we have with our Creator. He makes us, He breathes into us this reality. And we open our eyes, and the first thing we see is this beaming face of this excited Creator who looks at us, and he beams right back at us and says, wow, what have I just done? Everything he's created that week, he said, this is good. But when he came to your creation and mine, he said, this is awesome. This is very good. This is good stuff. And look what he did as he created us. Look what he created. It wasn't just a form, and it wasn't just a man with two arms and two legs and a brilliant mind. Go through these verses really quickly here, but let's just see what he did on that day. Hebrews 2 verse 7 says, He's, You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. For a short while we were to be underneath the status and the stature and the capabilities of angels. 
You've crowned him with glory and honor. When he breathed that life into us, the spiritual life and the physical life, he crowned us with his glory and he crowned us with his honor. The things that should have gone to him, he turned around and gave them back to us. Jesus even admitted that there, we were something a cut above in John 10, uh, verse 34. Jesus answered them, has it not been written in your nod? Don't you remember that even in the Old Testament it says, don't you know that you were God's? John 14, verse 12, he who believes in me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall she do because I go to the Father. See, even Jesus was, was inclusive in his day. Whatever Jesus did, he says, you and I have the capacity to do greater things. We should expect to do it. We should live in this glory and honor. We should live in that spirit connectedness, that intimacy that we have with our creator so that these things just automatically ooze out of us as we live our lives on a daily basis. Genesis 11, and God spoke, speaking to himself says, this is what they began to do, and now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible to do. You want to go to Mars? You can go to Mars. You want to dream big thoughts? Our whole genre of humanity, the homo sapien tribe, so to speak, has from the very beginning had this capacity to dream and to move into our dreams and to actually accomplish what we have thoughts in our heads. It's an amazing thing that God made us to be. Amazing, amazing, amazing. But that isn't the most amazing thing about creation. That was only a preliminary. That was, that was an amazing thing he did up until the next day. He says he blessed that next day and he rested it. He rested upon it. Because his greatest creation is not your making and my making. Not putting Adam and Eve on this earth. That was not his greatest creation. His greatest creation was creating sacred space. What I am creating, he said, is an ecosystem of love and peace and joy. Everything's supplied. You don't have to worry about where your next meal's coming from. You can go out and pick it off a tree. You can plant it in the ground and eat it. It's all supplied for you. You don't have to worry about locking your doors because there's nothing to be afraid of. There's no pain. There's no loss. There's no death. There's no dying. There's no disease. I've provided it all for you. And now I have created this thing that this most mystical, magical, awesome, incredible thing called sacred space. You see, sacred space is made out of God's loneliness. He made us out of his loneliness. When you love someone, you must express that love. When you have love boiling within you, you cannot keep it bottled up. And God is love, and he had to express it. So he created sacred space out of his loneliness. Love, to be love, has to be expressed. Love to be love is never one-sided. God, if God is love, God is forced to find objects of his love, and you and I are the object of his heart. He could not be God and not create something like you. 
Now, he could have created a sacred mountain in South America somewhere. He could have created a sacred city over in the Middle East somewhere. He could have put a, a sacred lake in Japan somewhere. Or he could have even put a sacred room in the Mall of America. Some place that you could go to to be sacred and have that sacred space with him. But instead of a place, he created sacred space in time. Something universally accessible to all of us, to every one of us who is created by the hand of this lover God. He did not put it in a place, he put it in time. God's creation was not anywhere near complete until God and his creation had come together. This coming together included sacred space and time. Space and time is the raw ingredients of life. Physical place, physical space, and life-giving time, eternity. Even though you and I are, have a beginning and we have an end, we can connect to our Creator who has neither, who can be both at all at the same time. Time is like God. It's eternal, ever-present, non-physical, yet physical at the same time creates an opportunity for us to choose about how we want to engage ourselves in that time. What do we want to do with this creator God of ours? Do we want to accept him? Do we want to reject him? Do we want to make stories about him? Do we want to create him in our own image? Or do we allow him to be who he is, who she is, who they are? Now, I want to put this together, one of the verses we just read, Genesis 11, verse 6, and it says, And the Lord said, This is what they began to do, and now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible to do. When God created sacred space, God expected us to create what that space looks like. God wants us to enter into the creation act ourselves. He created us. Now he said, now you can go and dream, and you can create, and you can make whatever it is. And in this unique setting of worship, we create that space between us and our creator. It is our imagination. It is our capacity. It is our glory and honor to be able to come together somehow, some way, and create something unique out of this physical space and this spirit time with God. God didn't make a list and he said, okay, now this is how I want you to worship me. I want you to do it this way. I want you to get up in the morning. I want you to turn off the TV when you leave the house. I want you to come to church at 1030. When you get home, I want you to eat a lot of fried chicken and mashed potatoes, take a nap in the afternoon, and wake up in time for the evening football game. He did not say that. He didn't even say to come to church. What he said was, I have made you to be intimately connected with me. Will you do that? Will you live up to why you were made? God simply created this space so that you and I could creatively engage with our God and love and be loved by this creator who bent down 
and his lips touched our lips, and he breathed into us the essence of our life, physical life and spiritual life. God wants to be intimately connected with you and me, and all I want to do today is introduce you to some, some varieties that, that may reflect your unique connection to him. In other words, worship is unique. What we do together here is only one tiny, just infinitely small amount of ways that we connect with our Creator. If this is all we do once a week in worship, it's better than not. It reminds us that He is our God, that He is our Creator. We get a little bit of instruction. We get a little bit of community. We get a little this and a little that. But that's just a very tiny little drop in what God wants this worship thing to be. So I'm going to be a psychologist here for a few minutes and break this community of faith down, those of us that are here this morning, into who you may be as you come to this place to worship. But I hope by doing so, I also expand your horizons into what you could explore, just like what we heard with Damon this morning and taking the kids out on the nature walk. That's awesome. And then I would suggest that if there's, the longer you live, the more you will be able to dabble in all of these. As I looked at this list, I said, well, I've been able to explore some of these some of the way. I haven't explored all of them to their totality at all. And I know which ones I come out of, which, way, which ones are my personality. And, and, and on the side, and it's not even about worship, it's about prayer. Nobody ever told me when I was growing up that you pray through your personality. You don't pray just a certain way, now I lay me down to sleep, or dear Jesus, and we ask and we we, I can't remember the things now. We ask, we see, T, whatever, whatever act stands for, the, the formula, okay? No, you pray through your spirit, and your praying may not even look like my praying. But that's a whole other thing. Here we go. Some of you this morning are enthusiasts. If you did, you probably came Friday night, okay? Enthusiast people are people who worship and, and the celebration are words that appeal to you. You really get into the raising of your hands and the enjoyment of the songs. You're, you desire inspiration and you feel close to God when inspired. You really want the sermon to be ringing in your ears as you walk out the door. You're ready to take on the world. Before you get in the car, turn on the radio and forget everything you just heard. I know how it works. You learn to experience true worship. You celebrate God in all things. You are just sort of this high and lifted up personality. You really like to be uh, inspired in this. Discovered why you were created to celebrate, and you just love to celebrate. When you're at home, you turn on the music, and you're dancing around the kitchen while you're cooking your Sunday meal. Then there are the naturalists. You experience God best out in nature, in his world. You feel closest to God on a hike, sitting beside a brook or a river, or simply being outside. There's nothing for me like going to the ocean or the side of a lake and just sitting and being still. Somehow my mind just opens up to the awesomeness of this God. That, that those waves coming in off of the ocean and you're just sitting there and there's nothing but these seagulls floating around and the wind and the, and the salt air 
for me, that is one of the richest times of just opening myself up to this unknowing God, this God that is so bigger than my imagination, just as vast as that ocean is. Some of you understand that. Take the Bible outside each day. You walk and talk with God. You allow nature to teach you about God's existence. You go for a hike. Use nature to guide you in prayer. Nature has been many of our refuges through the years, no question. And some of you are sensates. You appreciate beauty, art, and music. You feel closest to God when listening to music, working with your hands, or viewing art or photography. I don't know if you're like me or not, but when I was in school, after noon recess, if they still have those things in your day, I don't know, but they did in my day. We got three recesses. Without those, I would never survive school. Noon recess, we came in, and the teacher would read us a chapter out of a book at the end of that noon recess, and we were there sort of to calm us down, get us ready to study in the afternoon. I could never concentrate on that story unless I had a piece of paper in front of me and I would draw pictures and doodle all over that, that paper while the teacher would read the story. I had to be kinetically connected somehow that way. Well, my wife who loves to journal and all that kind of stuff doesn't understand that when I, when I worship, one of the things that I do in worship is I go and I turn on Spotify and I love old hymns. I just, and I have, a, you know, on Spotify, I have about 25 different artists, all on hymns. And they're the same ones. But I'm playing solitaire while I'm listening to these hymns. Bev says, that's not very spiritual. Oh, yes, it is, sweetie. I'm holy man of God. Anyway. But I'm doing something, but as I'm doing something, I am immersing myself Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, and amazing grace, and all these old hymns that an old man like me just sort of enjoys. That's my sensate, that part of me. I, I'm not a poet kind of guy. I don't write poetry like Bonnie does, but I can, I can sensate with that in that setting. Activists. Some of you want to be a part of a social or evangelistic cause. You feel close to God in taking faith risks, seeking growing dependence on him while striving for justice and against evil. I mean, that is an act of worship for many of you. You just want to get engaged. I want to make a difference in the world around me. I want to discover why justice matters. I want to learn how to start a movement. I want to incorporate talking about Jesus into that or living out the life of Jesus in that so that people sense that there's something divine and eternal about what I am doing here. I know a, a friend of mine back in New Jersey who, while she was teaching school, she's now retired, but... She used to go down to South America. She got into the environmental thing, and she wanted to protect this world that we live in. And she'd count whales all summer long, or she'd go up into the highlands, and she'd count butterflies. And she did all kinds of amazing things that helped her connect not only to God and nature, but, but also a sense of social and, and environmental justice. She connected that way. Some of us are traditionalists. We're drawn to God through ritual, through symbol and sacrifice. And when I, Marie and I first talked about this, I was only going to do a whole ser sermon on rituals. And I said, well, yeah, but that's sort of limited to those who are into rituals. But I love rituals. We're going to have a ritual at the end today with communion. 
But I love to have rituals, candles being lit. Bev and I, uh, when we get up in the morning, we, we read. And, and over the last couple of years, she's been reading into her uh, um, mystical woo-woo stuff. And I've been reading Joseph Campbell because I've been trying to find Jesus stories in other traditions. That's sort of an interest of mine. Because Jesus, God has not just simply revealed himself to a bunch of itinerant uh, um, nomads out in the middle of the desert. He, God loves everybody, and he's been communicating himself to everybody forever. And I want to find those communications in other things. It's just a hobby of mine. But then we get together, we light a candle, and we share what we've just discovered and we've just learned. And it's amazing how those things just warp together. When spirit is involved, things just sort of come and, and we're, we both walk away amazed. It's a ritual that we happen to have. But make, you make prayer a priority. Find ways to incorporate traditions and rituals into your life. Learn about traditions and rituals in the Bible. Develop new Christian habits. Caregivers. Caregivers are those who find... Uh, God in serving others, to love God best by loving people. You feel close to God when you're serving the poor, hosting people in your home, helping with the church event. Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa never felt close to God in her devotional life. She felt close to God when she was holding a dying person on the streets of Calcutta. That was her form of worship. How can you love by faith? How do you reach beyond yourself to love? How do you serve someone today? How do you, what, what does the Bible say about good deeds and how you interact with those and you learn how to be a servant leader? Just another way of expressing your intimacy with this God. Intellectuals, you experience God best with your mind. I have a mentor friend of mine who just died a year ago uh, I first met him when he was about 70 years of age, and, and this man would never raise his hand in service. He wouldn't like the guitars. He wants pipe organ. He wants it the way it was, you know, back 5,000 years ago. But his whole retirement, so to speak, he was a retired surgeon. He taught anatomy at the Oregon Health Sciences University and was the teacher of the year. He's a master in, in, in that regard. But when he would come home, his recreation was to get online and to download sermons from all these preachers from all over the world. And he'd study and he'd come up with me with some new spiritual insight and some new biblical understanding that he hadn't had before. And for him, that just drew him right to the heart of God. Then there's the contemplatives. You worship God best through adoration. You love digging into a good book or engaging in thoughtful discussion. You like to be in a small group where you can just hammer out stuff and you walk away enriched by that. You grow in your personal time with God. You practice thinking rightly about God. You, you immerse yourself in who is this God. You spend time reflecting and journaling about who God is and his characteristics and you learn what it means to take your faith from your head to your heart. And then my favorite is to be an ascetic, to go out in the desert and hide for years. I'd like to do that. I just have never been able to quite do this one, but I've done it in limited ways. You need quiet, solitude, and simplicity to feel close to God. 
when I lived in Lincoln, Nebraska, tw uh, twice a year, I would take a week off in the spring and a week off in the fall. I'd take my Bible and my dog, and I'd go to a cabin in the mountain somewhere, and, and I would just shut everything off for a week. Two and a half days it took me to finally get the buzz out of my life. Two and a half days of thinking about work and what's going on at home and leaving the teenagers with my wife or whatever. And, um, and then that all seemed to disappear. And then I began to slowly begin to hear and sense the presence of God. And by the time that week was over, wow, he and I were talking in ways that we never did when I was busy and, quotes, doing stuff. You follow in Jesus' footsteps of solitude. You have a silent retreat away from your phone and distractions. You discover the, quotes, five habits, how to declutter your, your life and enjoy your quiet time. Strive to simplify your life by removing extra activities. Pursue pure and simple devotion. These are ways that God has crafted us so that we can uniquely create sacred space. We take the mud of time and place and heart, and we create this thing called worship between us and our Creator. I love making sacred reminders. When Lori and Randy were in Germany for four years. We'd go over twice, three times a year to see them, and you can only see so many castles, and after a while, you just never want to see another one. So I started looking for religious icons, um, reminders of spiritual things that, as expressed in usually medieval Europe, pictures of Madonna and child, the Protestant cross and the Catholic cross, and you know the difference between the two. The Protestants emphasize resurrection, so the cross never has Jesus on it. The Catholic cross always has Jesus hanging on the cross. And I take pictures of those candles. I look in all these monasteries and, and things, and I would, and I came home with a, an amazing collection of these iconic photographs of, of amazing things to remind me. So when the music is going on, sometimes I'll just click on my iPhoto thing and, and go through this whole panorama of, of images of who God is. Uh, sacred reminders. Um, going out in nature. Just, I have a holy word that I repeat when I'm out walking in nature. It's called uh, it's sort of a mantra if you've ever done anything like that. It's just sort of a rhythmic thing. It says, uh, Abba, Father, you are my heart's desire. And I breathe in on Abba, Father, and I breathe out on you are my heart's desire, in and out. And I'm walking, and I'm communicating, and at times you just sort of lose a sense of, of time and place. It does get mystical if you want it to be. If you want to have that kind of connection, after all, God's in the business of giving you your heart's desire. You get to experience what you want because you get to craft it with him. So as we finish this series this morning, all we really wanted to convey to you through it all, through all of the introductions to new things and concepts and all of that kind of stuff, all we really wanted to say is that worship is us experiencing the incredible love of God 
who wants to be intimately connected to us. I just want to anchor that in one story. I've said this in the past, but I think uh, those of you that are here this morning, if you remember it, fine. Most people don't remember it anyway, so you get to hear it twice. Um, it's sort of a three-part story on Mephibosheth. You, you, any of you remember Mephibosheth? I mean, it's just one of those weird words. And when I was a kid and first heard it, it was one of those things that I never forgot that name of that kid ever, ever since I was like five years old. Mephibosheth, you know, say it. Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan, who was David's best friend. This is Old Testament stuff here now. Mephibosheth would have been in line to be the king of Israel if Jonathan had become, and then he would have been the next one. He would have been the crown prince after his father, Jonathan. Of course, David was anointed king, and so there was this political conflict between Saul, the grandfather of Mephibosheth, and David. And so you remember those stories. David lost, almost lost his life several times, all those kind of dynamics going on here. But on one fateful day, Saul and Jonathan were killed on the battlefield, which meant that the monarchy was now bereft. The Philistines were known for their incredibly raw, um, merciless uh, cleansing of, of power structures in countries that they overtook. And so the house of Saul knew that they had to flee or they were going to die. And so Mephibosheth was about five years old at this time, and his, hand, his nurse grabbed him, rushed out of the palace grounds. In the process of rushing out, she fell on his legs. She tripped and fell, broke his legs. They were in such a panic to get away. They didn't set the legs properly. And little Mephibosheth was out in this little town called Dabar in the middle of nowhere, living a life of obscurity with bones that didn't knit and he couldn't walk. He was lame. Now, all of that could have made him a, 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 a victim. Of course, he was a victim. None of this was his fault. And he could have lived in that victimhood. And we don't know exactly what he lived, but we did know that he knew that David was not friendly. And if David would have... Um, wanted to, he could have come and wiped out whatever was left. And so everybody tried to let it just tamper down. There's no one left in Saul's house. The second chapter of this story is when one day there's a knock on the house in Lo Debar, the city of Debar, and David's emissaries are there and said, is there a man in here by the name of Mephibosheth? By this time he's in his 20s. And they said, yes. And they said, we are ordered to take him to the palace. Now, if you're living this story with Mephibosheth, you know that if you go to the palace, you're in big trouble. You may not even make it to the palace. It just may be their excuse to get you out of the house, down the road a mile, and then they kill you and put you in the trees and, and walk on. Get rid of all of the ancestors of, of, of Saul, all the descendants of Saul. But instead, he makes it back to the palace, and he comes into the presence of David. And when he's there, the first thing out of David's mouth is this, and here's this text I want you to look at. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth. Your servant, he replied. 
Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. What Mephibosheth never anticipated that was that he would be able to receive this deep, abiding, bonding love from a man who all his life knew was the arch enemy. David emerges here as a lover. That's why David and Christ are so um, um, connected and, and Jesus claims the Davidic lineage because this is the part of David that Jesus latched onto. The lover part. The tender-hearted man, the one who would stand up and, and right wrongs and, and fight for justice and do all the things that you do if you love someone. David's rule was known as being just and being fair, but now entrenched in this is this concept of love. Kesed is the Old Testament way of describing this love. It's steadfast love. It is loyal love. It is covenantal. It is bonded love. It is... Once you have this love, it does not get broken. Your affection, desire, and intimacy is all attached towards an object. In this case, Mephibosheth. Kesed is, in the Old Testament, a description, the, the main description of God's love towards us. Kesed is love without regard to shifting circumstances, changing hormones, emotional states, personal convenience. God so loved the world, kesed, grace. We are to love one another with the same depth of loyalty and intensity. David so loved Mephibosheth that way because that's how he loved his father. Up to this point in the story, Mephibosheth has never been loved this way. He has never experienced this. The first thing that David said to him was Mephibosheth. He called him by his name. He recognized himself, he recognized Mephibosheth as someone of value. You're not just a, an entity. You're not just a number. You have a name. You are Mephibosheth. You are Jonathan's son. You are important to me. You're not a nameless exile. You're not a victim over here and we put you in a category of some sort. All shame, all dishonor, all fear, all hiding is erased when David says, Mephibosheth, calls him by his name. Your name is personal. You can't love in general. You can't just say, oh, I love all people. You can't love by categories. You can't love by decree or by legislation. It has to come out of your heart personally. God knows your name the same way, for the same reason. He knows you. And he wipes away your shame. He wipes away your fear. He wipes away your, your everything. The same result, 
Here it is. Look up here. Don't be afraid, God says to us, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father. The words that David says to Mephibosheth, God says to you, you, do not be afraid. I will show you kindness for the sake of your father who is me. I am the one who crafted you. I will restore to you all the land that belongs to you. You will always eat at my table. In the New Testament, Paul puts it this way. He says, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Everything is given to us. The third and last story, and we're going to end with this one, is during Absalom's rebellion, when one of David's sons decides he wants to be king and doesn't want to wait around for David to die. So he does a palace coup. And Ziba, who is Saul's servant, who has been by the side of Mephibosheth all this time to be his personal aide, escapes with David as they're leaving the palace grounds, and they go on out and they hide out in the caves. And Ziba shows up, but there's no Mephibosheth who has been living in David's house. So David turns to Ziba and says, where is Mephibosheth? Where, how come he isn't here? And Ziba says, well, he wants to be king. He thinks this is his chance, so he stayed behind. He has turned against you. And David accepts that as truth. And a few days later, when the palace coup is over and David comes back, there is Mephibosheth, and he calls Mephibosheth to come in. Mephibosheth comes in disheveled. He hasn't trimmed his beard. He hasn't slept in days, hasn't eaten anything. He looks horrible. And David says, how come you didn't come out with me? And Mephibosheth said, because Ziba betrayed me. He wouldn't take me. Now, here's where the story gets interesting. Who's telling the truth? Probably we would side with Mephibosheth, because if you're waiting for a coronation, you're probably going to dress up, you're going to make sure you look good, ready to go out there and receive the scepter and be the king, okay? We probably will side with Mephibosheth, but the story never tells us who is telling the truth and who is not. David doesn't take the time to decide you're the liar and you're not. He's not the U.S. Senate, praise God. So what is going on here? This is where we get into new territory, the deepest part of God's love. Here's where David becomes most godlike because here and here is the basis of your worship and mine. You ready? David's love is large enough, expansive enough to handle faithlessness, fecklessness, lies, and hypocrisy. He simply chooses to love both Ziba and Mephibosheth, understanding that they are just who they are. He chooses to love you knowing that you've got good stuff in you that are honorable and amazing stuff, and you've got a bunch of junk bad news things over here, and God's love is big enough to handle both sides of you. This is the gospel. God still loves you when the truth gets confused with your humanity. When your courage falters and you fail him, when your actions speak louder than your religious-sounding words, when no one else will give you the time of day, God gives you eternal life, 
and an inheritance based upon his unchanging kessed love for you. I love this story. I love it because I need to hear this story all the time when Bob Bretz looks in the mirror and I got the good stuff and I got the bad stuff all along, all together, sort of all mixed, mixed together here. In that context this morning and only in that context do I invite you to partake in a ritual called communion. And as you come forward and you come up the aisle and you come and you take your bread and you dip it into either cup and you then can either eat it there or walk back to your, however you want to engage yourself in this ritual, I want you to come up and realize that as you are mixing flesh and spirit, body and blood, love and sacrifice, you're, you're mixing all of these things together and you're taking them into yourself. You're accepting yourself for just who you are. You may not even believe ever all the stories that I told you this morning that any of that's true, it's okay, but maybe you'll just come up and say, I want to believe, I would love to be able to have that level of confidence in something in my life. It can even be an act of hope. It doesn't even have to be an act of faith. But just come and enter into one little aspect of traditional ritual that reminds us that he loves us with an undying love, went all the way to the cross, went through death and hell itself and came up the other side in resurrection so that you and I could be here this morning, so that you and I could explore the depths of all of this. Nick is going to come up and just play, and as he does, just come on up, start wherever you want to start, come on down. This will, this will conclude our service today. There's no prayer, nothing. Just come up, enjoy this, take a moment, say thank you, Jesus, and God bless you.